When wishes were horses and beggars could ride, in a stone castle by the sea there lived a rich land. How am I supposed to choose? There are so many. And so he left the trail, and he followed the sound of the music. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, then I shall eat you, too. Once upon a time, and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Ann Harding, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away, and will bring you back safely. I lit the match to light a candle. Touching the flame to the candle, I watched the fire slip from the match to the wick. The candle flickered, and in the flame, I saw a little face staring up at me. I blinked and looked closer. That little face smiled at me. I smiled back. It seemed like the polite thing to do. The little fire waved with a flicker, and it looked around as if wanting something. I had an idea. I grabbed a little wooden skewer and a mini marshmallow and held it up. The little flame actually clapped its hot little hands and reached out, ready to play. The stories for this episode are told in verse, set in rhyme, and in short, pure poetry. The first teller for this episode is Sarah Brady. New to the Story Story podcast, but an old hat at storytelling, writing, and acting. She's taught communication, acting, research, and more as a professor, as well as being an award-winning storyteller. This is her telling, The Falcon of Sir Frederigo. Many stories are told in poem form, such as this one by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Some of the words may sound a little unfamiliar, similar to the King James Bible, but if you listen well, the story can be clearly heard. One summer morning, when the sun was hot, weary with labor in his garden plot, on a rude bench beneath his cottage eaves, Sir Federigo sat among the leaves of a huge vine that, with its arms outspread, hung its delicious clusters overhead. Below him, through the lovely valley, flowed the river Arno like a winding road, and from its banks were lifted high in air the spires and roofs of Florence, called the Fair. To him, a marble tomb that rose above his wasted fortunes and his buried love, for there in banquet and in tournament his wealth had lavished been, his substance spent to woo and lose. Since ill his wooing sped Mona Giovanna, who his rival wed. Yet ever in his fancy reigned supreme, the ideal woman of a young man's dream. Then he withdrew, in poverty and pain, to this small farm, the last of his domain. His only comfort and his only care to prune his vines and plant the fig and pear his only forester and only guest, his falcon, faithful to him, when the rest whose willing hands had found so light of yore the brazen knocker of his palace door had now no strength to lift the wooden latch that entrance gave beneath a roof of thatch. 
companion of his solitary ways, purveyor of his feasts on holidays. On him this melancholy man bestowed the love with which his nature overflowed. And so the empty-handed years went round, vacant, though voiceful with prophetic sound. And so that summer morn he sat and mused with folded patient hands as he was used. Beside him, motionless, the drowsy bird dreamed of the chase, and in his slumber heard the sudden side-like sweep of wings that dare the headlong plunge through eddying gulfs of air. Then, starting broad awake upon his perch, tinkled his bells like mass bells in a church, and looking at his master seemed to say, Sir Federigo, shall we hunt today? Sir Federigo thought not of the chase, the tender vision of her lovely face, I will not say he seems to see. He sees in the leaf shadows of the trellises herself. Yet not herself. A lovely child with flowing tresses and eyes wide and wild coming undaunted up the garden walk and looking not at him but at the hawk. Beautiful falcon, said he, would that I might hold thee on my wrist or see thee fly. The voice was hers and made strange echoes start in all the haunted chambers of his heart. Who is thy mother, my fair boy? He said, his hand laid softly on that shining head. Mona Giovanna, will you let me stay a little while and with your falcon play? We live there, just beyond your garden wall, in the great house behind the poplars tall. Mona Giovanna, widowed in her prime, had come with friends to pass the summer time in her grand villa, halfway up the hill, or looking Florence, but retired and still. Here in seclusion, as a widow may, the lovely lady wiled the hours away, pacing in sable robes the statued hall, herself the stateliest statue among all, and seeing more and more with secret joy her husband risen and living in her boy, till the lost sense of life returned again, not as delight, but as relief from pain. Meanwhile the boy, rejoicing in his strength, stormed down the terraces from length to length. The screaming peacock chased in hot pursuit and climbed the garden trellises for fruit. But his chief pastime was to watch the flight of a gear falcon soaring into sight beyond the trees that fringed the garden wall, then downward stooping at some distant call. And as he gazed, full often wondered he who might the master of the falcon be until that happy morning when he found master and falcon in the cottage ground. And now a shadow and a terror fell on the great house, as if a passing bell tolled from the tower and filled each spacious room with secret awe and preternatural gloom. The petted boy grew ill, and day by day pined with mysterious malady away. The mother's heart would not be comforted. Her darling seemed to her already dead, and often sitting by the sufferer's side. What can I do to comfort thee? she cried. At first the silent lips made no reply, but moved at length by her importunate cry. Give me, 
he answered with imploring tone. Sir Federigo's falcon? For my own? No answer could the astonished mother make. How could she ask, e'en for her darling's sake, such favor at a luckless lover's hand, well knowing that to ask was to command, well knowing what all falconers confessed in all the land that falcon was the best, the master's pride and passion and delight, and the sole pursuivant of this poor knight. But yet, for her child's sake she could no less than give assent to soothe his restlessness so promised and then promising to keep her promise sacred saw him fall asleep the morrow was a bright september morn the earth was beautiful as if newborn Two lovely ladies, clothed in cloak and hood, passed through the garden gate into the wood. Mona Giovanna and her bosom friend, intent upon their errand and its end. They found Sir Federigo at his toil, like banished Adam, delving in the soil. And when he looked and these fair women spied, the garden suddenly was glorified. His long-lost Eden was restored again. And the strange river winding through the plain no longer was the Arno to his eyes, but the Euphrates, watering paradise. Mona Giovanna raised her stately head, and with fair words of salutation said, Sir Federigo, we come here as friends, hoping in this to make some poor amends for past unkindness. I, who ne'er before would even cross the threshold of your door, I, who in happier days such pride maintained, refused your banquets and your gifts disdained, this morning come a self-invited guest to put your generous nature to the test and breakfast with you under your own vine. To which he answered, Poor desert of mine, not your unkindness call it, for if aught is good in me, of feeling or of thought, from you it comes. And this last grace outweighs all sorrows, all regrets of other days. And after further compliment and talk, among the asters in the garden walk he left his guests, and to his cottage turned, and as he entered, for a moment yearned for the lost splendors of the days of old, the ruby glass, the silver, and the gold, and felt how piercing is the sting of pride by want embittered and intensified. He looked about him for some means or way to keep this unexpected holiday, searched every cupboard, and then searched again, summoned the maid who came, but came in vain. The signor did not hunt today, she said. There's nothing in the house but wine and bread. Then suddenly the drowsy falcon shook his little bells, with that sagacious look which said, as plain as language to the ear, If anything is wanting, I am here. Yes, everything is wanting, gallant bird. The master sees thee without further word, like thine own lure he whirled thee round. Oh, me, the pomp and flutter of brave falconry, the bells, the jesses, the bright scarlet hood, the flight and the pursuit or field and wood. 
All these forevermore are ended now. No longer victor, but the victim thou. Then on the board a snow-white cloth he spread, laid on its wooden dish the loaf of bread, brought purple grapes with autumn sunshine hot, the fragrant peach, the juicy bergamot. Then in the midst a flask of wine he placed, and with autumnal flowers the banquet graced. When all was ready, and the courtly dame with her companion to the cottage came, upon Sir Federigo's brain there fell the wild enchantment of a magic spell. The room they entered, mean and low and small, was changed into a sumptuous banquet hall, with fanfares by aerial trumpets blown. The rustic chair she sat on was a throne. He ate celestial food, and a divine flavor was given to his country wine. And the poor falcon, fragrant with his spice, a peacock was, or bird of paradise. When the repast was ended, they arose and passed again into the garden close. Then said the lady, Far too well I know, remembering still the days of long ago, though you betray it not, with what surprise you see me here in this familiar wise. You have no children, and you cannot guess what anguish, what unspeakable distress a mother feels whose child is lying ill, nor how her heart anticipates his will. And yet for this you see me lay aside all womanly reserve and check of pride, and ask the thing most precious in your sight, your falcon. Your soul, comfort, and delight, which, if you find it in your heart to give, my poor, unhappy boy perchance may live. Sir Federigo listens and replies with tears of love and pity in his eyes. Alas, dear lady, there can be no task so sweet to me as giving when you ask. One little hour ago, if I had known this wish of yours, it would have been my own. But thinking in what manner I could best do honor to the presence of my guest, I deemed that nothing worthier could be than what most dear and precious was to me. And so my gallant falcon breathed his last to furnish forth this morning our repast. In mute contrition, mingled with dismay, the gentle lady turned her eyes away, grieving that he such sacrifice should make and kill his falcon for a woman's sake. Yet, feeling in her heart a woman's pride that nothing she could ask for was denied, then took her leave and passed out at the gate with footsteps slow and soul disconsolate. Three days went by, and lo, a passing bell tolled from the little chapel in the dell. Ten strokes Sir Federigo heard, and said, breathing a prayer, Alas, her child is dead. Three months went by, and lo, a merrier chime rang from the chapel bells at Christmas time. The cottage was deserted, 
and no more Sir Federigo sat beside its door, but now with servitors to do his will in the grand villa, halfway up the hill, sat at the Christmas feast, and at his side, Mona Giovanna, his beloved bride, never so beautiful, so kind, so fair, enthroned once more in the old rustic chair, high perched upon the back of which there stood the image of a falcon, carved in wood, and underneath the inscription, with date, all things come round to him who will but wait. Today's fairy tale sponsor is the Bremen Town Music School. Singing is for the roosters. Cats, dogs, and donkeys, too. The famous quartet of Bremen are opening their own school, so you can learn from these masters of music and mayhem. Each of the quartet shares their own special vocal techniques, so you, too, can find your fame and fortune with just your voice. In the first four classes, you will learn crowing, how to sing up the sun, yowling, the art of getting your supper dish filled, howling, the favorite song of the moon and sad singers, and braying, how to connect the he and the haw of your technique. Once you've mastered the basic classes, you'll be invited to be a part of the Bremen Musician Group, where you can crow, yowl, howl, and bray your heart out with the greatest singers on the globe. The Bremen Town Music School, open to all creatures who are ready to find their voice. This episode is also brought to you by the Patreon supporter Veda. Veda has the special ability to sing up the wind. She can step outside on a calm day and with a little bit of song, a spring wind will come to play. On days when the wind is raging and blowing, the trees about Veda can hum a tune that will calm the gale to the perfect breeze for kite flying. She is also a generous supporter of storytelling, which is pretty cool. A big thank you to her and all the other patrons of the podcast. New postcards will be sent out in March, and if you'd like to receive a postcard featuring a delightful fairy tale sponsor, then please become a patron by going to patreon.com forward slash story story podcast. I lowered the marshmallow over the little flame with a face, and it reached up with its little flame fingers, a grin spreading across at the fire. The marshmallow began to brown and crisp along the edges. The flame played higher, slipping along the smooth sponge sugar, and it began to bubble, and then blacken, and then the little fire jumped up and grabbed onto the marshmallow, until that little marshmallow was completely on fire. I pulled it away from the little flame and blew it out. The little flame crackled, and maybe that's how it laughed, and I laughed back. As I watched it, it reached out and began exploring and softening the wax around it, and I realized this is one candle I would never blow out. The second teller for this episode is Tim Lowry. Tim serves up a refreshing brew of historic facts, regional folk tales, and personal narratives garnished with poetic language that is never saccharine, but unmistakably southern. He 
he has a number of wonderful albums. And this is him telling the story, Watermelon Time, a poem by James Whitcomb Riley. Old Watermelon Time is a coming round again, and they ain't no man alive any tickleder than me. For the way I hanker after watermelon is a sin, which is the why and wherefore, as you can plainly see. Oh, it's in the sandy soil where watermelons does the best. It's there they'll lay and waller in the sunshine and dew till they've rubbed the green streaks clean off in their breast. But you bet I ain't criticizing them for it, are you? There ain't no better thing in the vegetable line. And they don't need much tending to, as every farmer knows. But when they're ripe and ready for plucking from the vine, why, I want to say to you, they're the best fruit that grows. It's some that like the yellow core, and some that like the red. And some says the little California is the best, but the sweetest slice I ever wedged in my head was the old Edinburgh mountain sprout of the West. And it seems like everybody has an opinion about what kind of watermelon is best. My Uncle Bill Miles was like that. He was a cotton farmer from Mississippi. As he said, he lived in the delta of Mississippi. Yes, he did not spell it M-I, crooked letter, crooked letter, I, crooked letter, crooked letter, I, humpback, humpback, I. It didn't have that many syllables for him. He's like, I'm from Mississippi. Yeah, Uncle Bill Miles, he had his preference for watermelon. He always insisted on a Georgia rattlesnake melon. I didn't like that on account of the name, but that's what he wanted, a Georgia rattlesnake watermelon. One day, I was a very little boy. I must have been five, maybe six years old. And he said, Timmy, get in my truck. I'm going to take you to the hardware store and buy you a toy tractor so you can pretend to be a cotton farmer like your old Uncle Bill. We got in the truck, and he said, what kind of tractor do you want? Well, I was familiar with John Deere, and I said, I want one of those green ones with yellow wheels. He said, uh-uh, I'm an international man. You're going to get a red tractor. So we went to the hardware store, and sure enough, he bought me a big red toy tractor, and we put it in the cab of the truck, and we started back for home, and there was a produce stand on the side of the road, and they had watermelons. He said, now, you have to be careful how you ask about the origin of a watermelon because they'll tell you whatever you want to hear. So he pulled over to the side of the road and he rolled down his truck window and he said, I say, young man, are those uh, Florida melons you're selling there? He said, yes, sir, yes, sir. These are fine Florida melons straight from Tallahassee. They were picked out of the fields in Tallahassee yesterday. He said, thank you. I prefer a Georgia rattlesnake melon myself and rolled up the truck window and drove off. And I said, why don't you want a Florida watermelon? He said, them boys in Tallahassee plow their fields with tractors with yellow wheels. <laughs> you don't want no pumpkins nigh your watermelon vines, because some way or another they'll spoil your melons, sure. I've seen them taste like pumpkins from core to the rinds, which may be a fact you've heard of before. But your melons that's raised right and tended to with care, why you can walk in and amongst them with a parent's pride and joy and thump every one of them melons on the head with as fatherly an air as if each one was your little girl or boy. Everybody has their own way of choosing a watermelon. My daddy is a thumper. You know, some people study the stem, some people plug the melon, but my daddy, he thumps the melon. He's all the time knocking on the melon. I've always wondered... If from inside something knocked back, what would he do? <laughs> One day we went on a vacation when my sister and I were little kids. We had the camper all hitched up to the back of the car. and We drove off for the Great American Vacation Adventure. As we were driving, we saw a fruit stand on the side of the road, and they had watermelons for sale. And Daddy said, oh, let's stop and get a watermelon for a Fourth of July picnic. So we pulled over, and he climbed out of the car, 
There were several melons displayed by the side of the road, but he asked the farmer if he could climb up in the truck and select his own because he wanted to do some thumping. The farmer said, knock yourself out. So my daddy got up there and he was thumping around, thumping on this one, thumping on that one. And of course, my sister and I are sitting in the back of the car yelling, hurry up, it's hot, we want to go. And finally, he picked out one that he thought was just right. He cradled that big heavy melon in his arms. And when he jumped out of the farm truck, he put his foot right through one of the melons that was displayed on the ground. Big number 12 shoe. Straight through that melon. So he paid for the melon that he wanted, and he paid the farmer for the one that he had destroyed. He put the melon in the back of the car, and then he pulled back out onto the highway. And when he did, the car cleared all of the melons that were displayed on the curb, but the camper clipped one of those melons, just smashed it flat. All that red juice splattered out in the highway, and my dad didn't even know. He kept driving. My sister and I, we looked out the back window, and we saw the farmer throw his hat on the ground. He was cussing and yelling. We said, Daddy, you ran over another one of those melons. He looked up in the rearview mirror and said, Oh, I did, didn't I? So we went down to a wide spot in the road, turned around, came back. He paid for another watermelon, and then we drove off to our campsite. My dad set the surviving melon up onto a picnic table while he was popping up the camper, and I noticed that the picnic table was right on the edge of a big, long bank that went down to a creek full of big, heavy rocks. And I looked at my mom, and I said, I wonder what would happen if we rolled this melon off the end of this table down to that creek. And she said, I don't know, let's find out. And she reached up with her foot and just shoved that melon right off the end of that table. And it rolled all the way down the mountain and splattered into the creek, busted in a million pieces. And my daddy said, why did you do that? And she said, you were born in the South. Death comes in threes. That melon just needed killing. <laughs> oh, it joys my heart just to hear that ripping sound when you split one down the back and jolt the halves in two. And your friends and loved ones is gathered round, and you say unto your sweetheart, Oh, here's the core for you. I like to slice them up in big pieces for them all, especially the children, and watch their high delight as one by one the rinds with their pink notches falls, and they holler for some more with unquenched appetite. My friend Trina used to go on trips to visit her grandmother. She and her brother Nicky always looked forward to stopping at this little roadside fruit stand called the Dog Patch on their way to Grandma's house. And they would always get, of course, a watermelon. She told me one time that her daddy put the melon down in the floor of the car near the back seat. And the next time they stopped, it was at a fast food restaurant, and her brother Nicky snatched two extra soda straws. Now, their daddy had had the melon plugged. That's how he tested to see if it was a good melon. They'd cut a little section out of it and then stick the rind back in there. So those two kids climbed down in the floor of the car and pulled that plug out and stuck those soda straws in that melon and started sucking juice. And by the time they got to their granny's house, they had sucked that melon dry. <laughs> then they put the plug back in, pretended they didn't know anything about it. Now their grandmother wondered why they kept running to the bathroom all night long. And then a couple days later, she took that melon out of the refrigerator and sliced it open and it was snow white on the inside where they had sucked all the juice out of that melon. Boys takes to it natural, and I like to see them eat. A slice of watermelon's like a French harp in their hands. And when they saw it through their mouth, such music can't be beat, because it's music both the spirit and the stomach understands. Oh, there's more in watermelons than the purdy colored meat, and the overflowing sweetness of the water squished betwixt the upward and the downward motions of a feller's teeth. And that's the taste of ripe old age and juicy childhood mixed. 
For I never tasted a watermelon, what my thoughts don't fly away to the summertime of youth. And again I see the dawn and the fading afternoon of the long summer day and the dusk and dew a-falling and the night a-coming on. And there's the corn around us and the lisping of the leaves and trees and the stars a-peeking down on us as still as silver mice. And us boys in the watermelons on our hands and knees, the new moon hanging o'erhead like a yellow cord slice. Oh, it's watermelon time is a-coming round again, and there ain't a man alive any tickleder than me, for the way I hanker after watermelon is a sin, which is the why and wherefore, as you can plainly see. Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Show the love. Find Sarah Brady at sarahosbornbrady.com and Tim Lowry at StorytellerTimLowry.com. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more stories. We are in strange times for performing artists, but art is needed now more than ever. Go find your favorite tellers from the podcast and discover what they can bring to your home. Did you know you can connect with the podcast on Facebook or Instagram at Story Story Podcast or me at Rachel Ann Harding? You can see the fairy tale sponsor ads on the Story Story Podcast Instagram and Facebook page. While you're there, let me know the favorite story you have heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear them here soon. The beautiful brains behind the fairy tale sponsor was Elizabeth Kisselstein. The inspiration for the true fairy tale was Calcifer from Howl's Moving Castle. The music is by Poddington Bear. This podcast is made possible by patrons like you. Consider becoming a patron or joining the mailing list to get podcast goodies or writing a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps other story lovers find and enjoy the show. You will hear more stories next week, but until then, live happily ever after. Mary Kate opened up the door. And there, on the doorstep, wrapped in his own blanket, was her baby. And to this day, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the flea, the fly, and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day, when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. And if you listen really closely, you can even hear the festive music from the royal court.